Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Hello, and thanks so much for being with us today. Today, we're talking about technology. Now, that's a topic that's come up a lot on this podcast, particularly in light of the pandemic. Technology is something we've leaned on so heavily over the past year, but it's been kind of a love-hate relationship. We love it because it's cool that we can work from home. We've also been frustrated when technology doesn't work, when we freeze up on screen or we go to record something and it's not there. You know, it's very stressful in its way. So as much as technology takes away stress, sometimes it seems it creates it or does it create it. Well, our guest today is Mohammed Chadi. He's the director of global HR for Dell Technologies. Now, Dell's done some really cool work where they look at actual brain waves from people and see whether they're stressed or happy from technology. Really kind of interesting because it's really different from how things are usually measured. Basically, it comes down to creating good technology experiences rather than bad ones. And if you can do that, there are huge benefits. So I really found this one to be a fascinating discussion, really worth listening to. Please stay with us. Well, does technology make us more stressed? Or are we more stressed because we're using technology wrong? Well, our guest today is Mohammed Chadi. He's director of global HR for Dell Technologies. And he thinks that perhaps we are not using things properly. If we did, we'd be pretty happy with the results. He joins us now from Toronto. Good morning, Mo. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to be here. You know, I have so many questions about your study and the whole issue of technology, but I want to ask you about your own career first, because we're a work in the future podcast. How did you end up doing what you're doing? Uh, great question. I was not expecting it, but thank you for asking it. Um, well, first of all, um, I think the I started my career in, in the software business as, as a uh, software solutions uh, person. Uh, gradually moved into um, uh, training as a training consultant and, and always being kind of close to technology embedded within that, uh, doing it from, from an HR uh, standpoint. So naturally, kind of the, the way my job evolved um, and actually all the way back from, from Morocco, uh, worked across the Europe, Middle East and Africa region uh, and, and started doing kind of a, a global role for the company. Um, so my passion led me here. In a lot of ways, I'm very passionate about our, you know, topics like the one we're going to talk about today, um, and, and certainly grateful for the opportunities Dell has given me to to be able to serve and, and make an impact the way we're doing uh, across the business. It's been a really challenging year to serve and make an impact. Uh, the pandemic, obviously, is making us appreciate technology, but some would say it's also creating all kinds of stress that technology can add to or subtract from. What have you seen over the past year in terms of workers? Like, What, are the, what has been the experience? Uh, that couldn't be more true in terms of the impact. I, I think there, there are kind of uh, ways to think of this I, that, that um I'll call, you know, we're not at a stage to reflect, but I think there's a lot of value to start doing so early enough so we can appreciate what happened and how we can, you know, make the best out of it in, in a lot of ways. And, and, and you'll hear me talk about that a lot. I'm, I'm a very optimistic person. And I think as bad as this is, and obviously a lot of life loss, et cetera, this is ultimately going to be for um, bringing quite a bit of lesson learned, et cetera, for 
for businesses and generally for us as a society to move ahead. Um, biggest learning for me in, in, one, in one is the predictability of things, I think, has been very strong. We thought we could predict and, and anticipate a lot of things. In reality, we just simply can't. And so the factor of dealing with the uncertainty, dealing with unexpected uh, things that, to evolve and happen and have a bigger impact than we can ever anticipate, I think 2020 is, is definitely a lesson in that um, in a lot of ways. And, 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 and so a lot of thinking should go into how much value do we put on, on future plans versus how much investment we do actually put on our ability to deal, to be agile, to deal with uh, unpredictable events and, and still stay focused on what really matters. Um, a lot of conversations over the last few years, I think, took place around things like digital transformation and how technology changes things. I think 2020 is, is a, a case study in that, which is, you know, as you said, Linda, I think things would have been very different if you know, this pandemic happened in the 90s. Um, imagine if we all had to dial up uh, or to wait, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes for our computers to start and never mind video conferencing. Um, that was not even a thing at the time. So think of all the things we, we still managed to do, um, including, you know, pandemic con containment, including some of the responses, the data and how data was, was critical in dealing with this pandemic. I, I think we're very lucky in a lot of ways, and I know it sounds ironic to say it, but it's ironic to, it's, it's lucky in a lot of ways to have had this crisis happen in a time where we've reached a lot of maturity in technology. It's been socialized enough. There's enough consumerization of it that we managed to quickly jump on a lot of these solutions that's been out there for quite some time and, and you know get do what's needed, continue business where possible, so from from that perspective, I think the the looking at this as a as a with a with a lot of gratitude in terms of this is where technology truly delivers value and becomes not just a nice to have thing, but something very critical. Um, that's where twenty twenty is. The last thing I want to briefly say, um, Linda, is self care and well being has always been second second to to kind of business. Uh, I think we all appreciate it through our very own personal experience that it, it cannot be a second thought in terms of how we prioritize it. Um, it is very critical for us to understand how we take care of ourselves, how we take care of our employees, and ultimately how we take care of our customers um, in order to be successful in today's economy. And, and I think that's kind of one of those uh, great takeaways that we will retain with us after hopefully this pandemic is over very soon. Now, a lot of companies do surveys asking workers how they feel about this. Dell's done some really interesting work looking at brain waves. Tell me about that. Uh, absolutely. I, I, think, I think we've all seen that, and, and you're spot on. It's, it's the, the default reaction, uh, understanding there's a lot of stress, understanding that this puts a lot of pressure on people's lives in general, never mind jobs. Uh, was asking, you know, doing surveys and asking people opinions. And, and that, that certainly holds its merits uh, in a lot of contexts. What we wanted to really understand is, is something, you know, A, get data that is very unbiased, data that is scientifically based. In this context, it's neuroscience. This isn't, you know, how people only feel or how they express it or how much of it they want to express. This is a direct access to 
um, how people's brain and react and in, 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 in technology experience. And I know we'll dive into that a little bit more, but I think there's a lot of value to be put on our conversation from the perspective of it's not biased. It is not based on any particular premise or put in out of context. This is purely driven by how people's brain reacts to what is a good or a bad technology experience. And, and I would, I'll go through a little bit of what, how do we even define that and, and why it matters. Um, but that's kind of what the, what the exercise and the, and the study has been is, we partnered with Emotive, who who basically focuses on neuroscience and, and came up with a, a good study, I believe, that looks at uh, a number of areas. One is how people's brain react to good or bad technology. Um, and then what are the carryover uh, effects of that? So what happens in the middle of having a bad technology experience and what happens after a bad technology experience occurs. Um, and, and the, the findings are, are, are very interesting and, and I certainly look forward to dive into those a little more. Well, let's define, first of all, what's a good experience and what's a bad experience. Certainly, uh, and, and that's a, I, I think you're, the, the question as far as I'm concerned is very relevant. And first of all, I wanna say, there's really no size fits all type of technology experience. And let's just get that off the way, right? So there's, there's no single bullet or silver bullet that you can go and look at and say, do this and you're set. Um, what is a good experience, as I would define it, is something that is very anchored on uh, design. And, and what I mean by that is a good experience is one that is designed for what the customer, employee, whoever is basically the user is trying to accomplish as a job. And, and, and this is you know, this is something that's been going on uh, for, for, for decades in terms of really driving the value proposition and, and having this human-centered approach to everything we design. And, and this is no different. So, so in this context, to your point, what is a good experience? A good experience is one that is designed to serve the customer or the person in that situation to do whatever they're trying to do as fast, as efficiently, as effectively as possible with at le the least amount of friction, tension, hurdles, and you can add on to that, right? So that is, that is what that stands for in that context. I'll give you one example. If if you're trying to travel from, you know, we are in on the east coast here in in uh, Ontario, uh, if you want to travel to the west coast um, in Vancouver or British Columbia, and you want to do that in uh, five hours, uh, or you have to be there, you know, within the day, um, then you know, riding a car is not your best solution. Um, and, and so that's that's one example where your experience trying to get there in a car, A, will be unsuccessful, B, will be really uh, uh, terrible uh, versus you riding an airplane. And so that's that's very simple analogy here, but that's kind of where we're talking about in terms of having the right fit between what the job is and what you're trying to accomplish um, and basically um, uh, having the right tools, whether that's a... In our context, uh, uh, the computer systems, the softwares, the way they're designed to allow you to do just that. Uh, I, I think that's kind of where the, the focus is. So let's look at it in terms of, say, working from home, where people had to ramp up. Uh, in my case, I'm used to going onto a stage and just doing a presentation. I had to get lights, I had to get a new camera, I had to, you know, change it up in ways I hadn't expected. And other people, it's the whole work at home setup. 
Uh, do you think these are good experiences? Have they been set up to be good experiences or, or not? I've heard both sides of stress or no stress. Uh, I, I would say to, in, your, in your question, I think you said, you know, you go on stage or you had to go figure out lighting, video, et cetera. I would ask you this, Linda, you know, if you compare the two, which one have you felt gets you to do the job and focus on the value you're bringing uh, to your audience um, with the least amount of, um, first of all, just obstacles to begin with. Second, as you go through that, and we'll talk about you know, how productive you could be if that goes well and how unproductive you could be if that goes really bad. And then what's the least stressful for you? Um, to me, that's like that's really what the real answer is. It's not so much, you know, in, in, in a vacuum if something good or bad. It's more does it allow Linda to do the job as successfully as we know she can? Or does it just get Linda caught up in so many parameters that are truly just distractions to her stepping on stage or in this case in front of a camera? And delivering the value to her audiences, and and, and it's a true question. I'm, I'm genuinely no, it is. Not. Well, <laughs> you know what? I uh, worked in television for a long time, and I really valued the people who did their job so well. The guy who got the lighting just right, and the people who got the sound right, and set things up. So I only had to do content. Now I'm able to do the rest of it, and I'm not bad at it at all. But it's a whole other component. And for other people, it may not be lighting and sound, but it's other things that they've had to, to use technology. For. You're, you're absolutely correct. And I want to draw the exact correlation here in terms of if you're an employee um, with what I would call kind of a consumer level of understanding of technology, meaning you know how to use your smartphone and you know how to use your computer, but you haven't really been kind of versed or necessarily been passionate about things such as uh, understanding what a VPN is, how to get securely into a network, how to protect your data and that of your customers, how honestly sometimes just to get online successfully, figure out the, the camera, figure out the audio, never mind the lighting. I, I want you to, fit, you to think of if I'm a, a business today and I'm a company, and in this context, I was forced for the safety of my employees to send them home. And I want him to be as, first of all, I want him to be safe. And I think I accomplished that by having them kind of sent home. But then my priority becomes, how can I get them as productive as they could be as quickly as possible? And, and without necessarily uh, leaning on their particular skills of figuring out connectivity, figuring out uh, you know, data privacy and all these things that I think really just is not a common knowledge thing. Um, to me, that's, that's, that gets into the core of what we do. And so that my point is, as a business, as an employer, A, I would want to make that as seamless as possible for my employees to do, meaning uh, turning up the computer and having what I would call weekend language instructions, not something that you'd have to have any sort of background to understand or technical knowledge to figure out. And, and B, I would want to make sure that that's also fit to the type of experiences they have. I, I'll give you one example. If, if you're somebody who's constantly on video conferences and you do that in an office, 
it wouldn't help you so much as an employer if I hand you a laptop without a camera. Um, and that's, 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 again, that's the things you don't want to figure out or you don't want to find out while you are about to speak in a webcast or in a conference, right? And, and so that's, that's kind of how critical this whole thing is. And, and let, me, let me touch on something I don't think we touch on yet and why this is such, a, such a critical component. I think in all, all, all these examples, we talk about uh, productivity and how to get there and how stressful this could be. Here's what the data tells us. And, and, and I think that's in a lot of ways kind of um, highlights why this is important and why it matters. Having a bad technology experience could hinder uh, 30% uh, of uh, the employee's experience or productivity, sorry. And so the way to think about it is out of every five days worked, you're losing a day and a half roughly of productivity. And, and by losing, I genuinely mean just not being able to deliver any productive work, whether that's creativity, innovation, or something that is much more transactional as a result of what a bad experience could be. And, and that could vary from a system crash, not being able to get online, uh, having a uh, work in progress that doesn't save anymore, and you can you can go on and on, losing connectivity, and and, right. and on and on. So that's that's why this this matters, right? This is we're talking about a thirty percent, thirty seven percent productivity advantage that you can either be losing or gaining. In, in, in a business world, that is absolutely fundamental to get a grasp on. Um, the other, the other data point that I think truly matters is uh, when we talk about a, a stressful technology experience, um, and, and regardless of the work, regardless of, in that, in that context, regardless of the demographic, and I know we'll get into demographics in, in a few, um, the, the time it takes you to recover stress-wise, and, and, and again, this is all neuroscience data, this isn't people's opinions only, but this is truly what their brain experience. Um, it's three times longer. So the difference between being able to have that seamless experience and, and then ultimately focus on the job um, and you know, notwithstanding this, the inherent uh, stress that comes in doing any job, uh, recovering from what is a good experience versus a bad experience can take three times longer. And, and 2020 has, has certainly taught us that self-care matters and well-being matters. So just imagine having the compounded stress level and the delayed recovery of three times longer as a result of a bad technology experience. I, I think it's uh, it, it certainly has been an eye-opening for us finding out how of an impact that technology can it can have on on the workforce in general. So, how do you be one of the companies? How do you become one of the companies that gives employees, workers, the good experience as opposed to the bad one? And this is this is again this is back to my earlier question. I think um, it's not so much about having a single answer, but it's it's understanding how to come up with the right approach to figure out what that good experience is. Uh, and how to define it for your employees. I think, I think first of all, the the step out from the reactionary mode where we are all and being pushed to today. So I I can appreciate the pandemic has forced us to do a lot of things um, as a reaction to safety concerns, etc. Um, and 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 that's good. 
Uh, but I do think if, if if the companies today and employers are not necessarily already and employee uh, employers are not necessarily de- developing their strategy, uh, to me that's the first that's the first uh, kind of task. And what I mean by that, Linda, is starting to map out what kind of workforce do you want to have in your company, and and specifically, are you a company that's only going to support and develop experiences for people? when they are in your offices, and I mean brick and mortar, or are you gonna allow and design for experiences that are um, spanning across multiple channels, whether that's a, a brick and mortar context set up whenever that is safe to, um, to start, uh, or a, a, a much more kind of hybrid mo- model where you have people that could either um, work within a um, within the office, but also commute and still be able to have access and still be able to um, still be able to kind of be productive, do that uh, purely at home on a full-time basis. And, and that's, that's truly kind of, again, somebody who would, your employees from higher day, from their day one, you've designed an experience that is are going to allow them to be productive and get seamlessly online, get be able to seamlessly engage, etc. And, and and that's like the to me that's the first thing is if you trying to understand what kind of employees you have today, if you haven't figured that out, but also the kind of workforce you'd want to have in the future. And I would say a very personal opinion here, Linda, is we talk a lot about future of work and digital transformation and how the generations are kind of changing the value proposition. I, I, I'm a true believer that the, the the business, any business's job should be to create as many um, seamless experiences as possible for their employees to be as productive, as creative as they could be, and, and not necessarily be tied up to one single parameter, whether that's an office or fully remote. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, data that shows us that uh, allowing your workforce to be productive as quickly as they could be and do the work, you know, wherever and whenever they can, just creates this this incredible empowerment to your workforce. And 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 to me, that's just a good business case um, and business strategy, regardless of the pandemic. This is not a a build and leave alone type of approach. Meaning it is very critical to, to have this notion of continuously checking on the experiences. It's still serving its purpose. Are there any changing factors, whether that's a new generation entering the workforce, whether there's just a new customer segment you're starting to serve, and how does that evolve ultimately? And, but, but here's the part that we haven't spoken a lot about yet, Linda, is the... Doing all this, creating a successful technology experience and doing it all is really like part of the job. It's, it's not even half the job, I would argue, because that when you take care of that, that then gets you to focus on what kind of culture you would want to drive in your workforce. And, and so having the tools is certainly critical, but then having the right culture in place that empowers your team members to be productive um, and, and really the way we've defined it at Dell for the last 10 plus years, so it's not something related just to the pandemic, is we really look at work as an outcome versus a place or a time. And so the, the, the proposition to our employees is uh, do what you do best for our customers, 
uh, regardless of where or when. Um, and, and I think that's such a, uh, an, a liberating uh, perspective. Um, and, and that's, again, based on um, our employees' own opinion and voices, is that being given the choice um, of the where and the when to be productive and deliver the best value for our customers. And, and I think underlying within that, being trusted um, to make those choices uh, and deliver the best value without a lot of prescription as an employer um, has certainly resonated with our workforce and, and, and our customers actually from all the conversation we've been having with them for the last year or so. So, so to me, that's, that's kind of the, that's the approach. And I think the answer, as I stated, is certainly unique and, and, uh, and, and something that I believe every business needs to kind of hone in on and, and figure out for their, uh, for their own workforce. Let's talk about the workforce because you said there's not one single answer. There's also not one single generation in the workforce right now. How does talk about how the results of what you've seen have differed across age groups? Uh, certainly, and, and that, that is that is by far one of the uh, topics I'm most passionate about. I think, I think first of all, let's acknowledge where we are. Right, this is a very unique um, um, time where we have five generations you know, in, in the workforce together. Um, and, and I would say this is also a unique time because we, we, we really do have a strong variance and contrast between how um, embedded um, or how much of a nativity type of um, experience each generation had with technology. Um, and, and so in this context, the 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 reason this matters and the reason this becomes relevant um, is that, first of all, if we are purely looking at it uh, from a across generations and what the commonality is, um, the data shows that regardless of generation, uh, bad technology is twice as stressful as uh, using good technology is. So doing a work regardless of your tech savviness, whether you've had a smartphone since you've been you know, six years old or, or sooner than that, or you've only used it in your 40s or 50s, it doesn't matter. Um, the, the, experience, the bad experience has such a uh, dominant effect on all generations um, that this, the stress is doubled regardless of your savviness. Um, and and that's, that certainly is... is as far as I'm concerned, a very relevant point because I know we talk a lot about different needs for different generations. This one is certainly uh, the most dominant um, across all generations. What, what, what I do wanna say though, and what we saw in the data is that the younger the generation is, and so this is where we talk about a kind of digital nativity becoming more and more dominant, uh, specifically the Generation Z, the millennials, and I know we're talking about now Generation R. The, the, the higher the expectation is when it comes into uh, having a uh, kind of taking taking the notion that a good experience is there, is there to be um, as, a, as a kind of an assumed um, reality. And what I mean by that is, if you're onboarding somebody who's spent, if they're entering the workforce by age 20, just making an example here, 
and they've already spent over 15 years of their life using a smartphone and interacting with social media, interacting with um, their, their game console, using VR to play, using smartphone to order their TV to, to, to stream, et cetera. They already have this kind of uh, you know, preset expectation that navigating through their different needs and ex- the jobs they need to do in the day as a consumer is already embedded and seamless from a technology standpoint. And so what happens when you onboard that um, individual in the workforce, she's stepping into the role with the high expectation of, I'm not going to have to worry about getting my system online. That's kind of a, it should already be online. And, and, and that can go on and on and different kind of expectations level. And so, so what we saw happen is the younger the generation is, the higher the productivity loss tends to be. And, and I would say that's kind of because the expectation and one of the one of the readings I guess we have of the data is that the expectation tends to be higher with the younger generations because they basically grown up into that t- type of uh, not just the technology, but also uh, a very experience centric uh, environment for consumers. Uh, that's when they face that as employees in the workforce there's kind of this shock and, and that results in what we saw, at least in our perspective, 30% drop in productivity. That's interesting. Wouldn't have expected that necessarily. Let's look forward a little bit, Mo. If we're going five years out, we're well done with the pandemic, hopefully. Uh, we've made some changes. What do you see in terms of technology and workers and stress and everything else? I think, I think as we think, as we, as we look, as we look ahead, my, my two cents, and, and this is, if we look at the data and the study itself, uh, Linda, I think it's a it's a lot of ways um, what this study showed us based, again, not on opinions or feelings or kind of what the context of the survey was, is that technology is, is certainly fundamental in, in, in how we uh, get work done in general, right? So, so this is this is one where I think we don't, we don't disagree on the fact that technology changed everything we do on a daily basis as consumers, as citizens, um, in, in our society, how we even interact with each other. Uh, and and I, I, I think we can accept that a lot easier somehow because of how embedded that is in our daily lives. What, what I think this study showed is, especially in a context where we are forced to change our choices, uh, in the context of a pandemic, uh, having a very solid design mindset uh, focused on the employee and the needs they have and how to service that through technology solutions. And that's not just a hardware conversation. This is a, an ecosystem discussion. Um, as far as I'm concerned, that is fundamental into any company's business model and I think I look at that from two ends. One is, as a business, you'd want to have that competitive advantage to make sure that your workforce is focused on your customers and not distracted by any other barriers that they may have to do so. And, and the example is, if, if a customer is trying to reach your employees you don't want them stuck trying to get online or their system crash or them not being able to do it anymore because they're not in the office. You'd want to you'd have that ecosystem built for the employees to, 
to be as agile, flexible as possible uh, in terms of time and place in order to deliver the value for your customers. To me, that's a, that's a huge competitive advantage any business should be looking at and really honing into. Uh, embedded within that, I think then you get into, once you figure out their, their experience, then you get into things like, how do you drive that from a, a cultural perspective where you have a culture that promotes work as an outcome, an outcome that is very much driven toward your customer value uh, how do you get that talent to uh, be kind of uh, empowered to do what, what's needed for your customer and not so much worry about things like, you know, being in an office or not being visible, physically speaking, uh, or not, uh, or, or, you know, showing up in certain time windows. I think the eight to six or nine to five are kind of a, a thing of a past and, and the third to that is, is, is making sure that you also create a, a very uh, health and, and well-being culture as well. And, and, and that that's really translates into some very tangible things. If you drive an outcome, uh, dr- uh, an, an outcome-driven work culture, as an example, Linda, you're not necessarily going to set the uh, sometimes unwritten rule that people cannot work out in the middle of the day or go for errands or figure out whatever life events that could happen. And now case in point now, and and I I have kids so I can relate, helping kids with the homework, you know, half hour or an hour a day and do that, you know, fully uh, with your full mind present and then go back to deliver your customer value. To me, that's a that's such a powerful thing because that's where you harness all your talent toward delivering your customer value versus worrying about all these parameters that I think in, 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 in retrospect and candidly in, in reality, just truly don't matter as to how much value your employees can deliver to your customer. For me, that's, that's kind of the, and I know it's a long answer, but I like, I mean, those are the three things you'd want to take care of internally. Now, if you look at uh, technology experience, outside of the company as a business. Um, I, I think there is a there is a there's no debate here that in a lot of ways technology is a huge enabler um, to deliver the fastest, quickest, most valued value to your customer and and beat the competition doing so. And but it's not a what I would always say is I don't think it's ever going to be uh, because we, you know, a business has gone and acquired the best technology or latest technology. I think it's always going to be because they they managed to hone in on whatever the customer need is, and done it in a in a way that delivers the best value. Whether that's you know it's a time factor, whether that's a cost factor, convenience factor. That's that's obviously remains to be seen based on the industry. But uh, that's kind of where I believe the future is. Is we're we're a lot less honed in on, on delivering the customer value and doing so without compromise, doing so by enabling a culture that creates uh, a, a much more uh, harmony between work and life versus, versus having this, this, this kind of con- concept, concept of 
you either can do a really good work or you can have a, a, a balanced life. I think, I think to me, that's, that's what's going to be challenged quite a bit, generally speaking, but more certainly by um, the workforce in, in general. A good place to leave it, I think. Uh, it's a positive thought. Mo, thank you so much. It's such an interesting subject. Thanks for being here today. Uh, pleasure. Thanks for, for having us and uh, great to be here. Mohamed Chadi is Director of Global HR for Dell Technologies. Well, that's it for today. If you want to learn more about Muhammad and the work done by Dell, please check out our show notes. I've linked to some of it there. And if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at at Relentless Eco. Now, if you did enjoy this conversation about the future of work, please take a moment, leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. We really help people to find us, help us to keep the conversation going. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the workandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. <laughs>